Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. At a first glance, when you consider the first nine commandments from you shall not have any other gods before, don't make any idols in the image of anything that's created, don't say the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, honor your parents, do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. The first four commands towards God, and the next from fifth to ninth, outward to our neighbors. Some of us might think, hey, I can keep these, maybe externally. After all, these are the commands that sums up the great command, the first and the second great commandments. But when we begin to feel as if it's possible, maybe, that we can keep these, we come to the tenth commandment, which is very quick to remind us that it's impossible because it's getting to the heart commands us not to covet the very one that Jesus leaves out when he is speaking with the rich young ruler. Now, there are countless parallels of many of the commandments in the ancient world, things like against murder, adultery, stealing, false testimony. But you can't find one that commands against coveting. There are no parallels to this one. Some of us think that focus of the heart is a New Testament thing. But we get to the Tenth Commandment, and we are very quickly reminded that Jesus didn't start getting to the right motivation when he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. Focus of the heart has always been part of God's revelation from the very beginning. God cares about sins that we commit externally, things that we do with our hands. But as we see from this 10th commandment, as we come to the end of the 10 commandments in the catechism, we're reminded that God cares deeply about what happens in here. That obedience to all the other commands actually begins in our heart. And true obedience, what we do outwardly, is not complete without the heart obedience. I mean, some of us have kids at the age where they might externally obey, but in their eyes you can see them. They're not obeying. They're like, I'm doing this. I don't want to do it, but I'm doing it. 
Bible is not simply concerned with our external actions, but our internal state. We need cleansing from inside and out because sin affects us from inside and out. And we worship a God who is holy and demands total obedience. Question this morning that I have for us is, what is the state of your heart this morning? Are you content with what God has given you right now? Are you able to, with thanksgiving, enjoy the lot he has given you? In contrast to Christianity, the Buddhist worldview considers desire as the root problem. You, know, you can probably think back to those days when you studied world history or world religion, and it goes through the Four Noble Truths. And it starts with one, the first truth, that purports that life is suffering. And the second point, that the suffering is caused by desire. So for Buddhism, the goal, the end, the state of nirvana, the state of extinction where nothing bothers you is reached when we stop having desires. And you have the Eightfold Paths that leads to that. But in contrast to Buddhism, Christianity actually recognizes that we do have God-given desires. A single man or a woman who desires to be married is not desiring something that is wrong or sinful. In fact, it can often be good because what? Godly spouse is a gift from the Lord. Now, some people can desire for wrong reasons, sinful reasons too. A man who desires to be the an elder in a church is also not coveting in a bad way unless the drive is for self instead of to serve. Because the Bible also teaches us that the office, such office, is a noble thing to desire. The goal of Christianity, unlike Buddhism, is not to free ourselves from any or all desires but to have these desires that's in us to be rightly ordered and directed. All religions are not the same because they're not aiming at the same thing, and the means and the end are not the same. Our problem isn't that we desire, but that we desire often wrong things, sinful things that are clearly explicitly prohibited or Desiring good things in a wrong way. Desiring wrong things are often sometimes called a culpable desire. These are explicitly sinful things that we are to stay away from. But we also have these inordinate desires, wanting right things in a wrong way. Whether this culpable or inordinate desire is what Bible often refers as covetousness. In some ways, it might seem kind of least offensive. I mean, the first nine of the Ten Commandments, they're pretty bad. But the tenth, it's like, it doesn't look that bad. Or is it? In fact, the Tenth Commandment shows us that ultimately and often, 
what leads us to break the first nine is the tenth. And it robs us of the joy and contentment that we're supposed to have as followers of Christ. Let's look at the Tenth Commandment. We just read chapter 20, verse 17, and it reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. A couple of observations. First, um, the phrase, you shall not covet, is repeated twice. There's a reason. And second, you have seven things that we are told not to covet. Starting from the neighbor's house, reflecting household, okay? And then moving on to neighbor's wife. And then moving on to male servant, female servant. You have an ox, you have a donkey. And then in case anything that belongs to the neighbor, it's a round, nice Hebrew number of seven. Encompassing the totality of Anything and everything that belongs to a neighbor, we are not to covet. And then you also notice that there are kind of four categories of which we are told not to covet. So under the umbrella of the house or the household, we are not to covet the spouse, then neighbor's servants, neighbor's animals, and again, anything that the neighbor has. Four categories, a total ban, ban, excuse me, on coveting. And in this 10th commandment, the word neighbor is repeated three times, reminding us whom we are not to sin against. Now, the word covet is actually a, um, in itself, is a neutral word. It, simply indicates desire. In the, in the Bible, it's used to often dis, um, be used to, in this context, um, covet, but in other contexts, a simple desire. That's not inherently bad. But here, what's warned against is not desire in itself, but desiring that which belongs to a neighbor. Desire which leads us to do something against the best interest of our neighbor. Desiring what's prohibited and desiring the good in a wrong, sinful way. I don't know when was the last time you visit someone's home. You sat down and had a good conversation, with coffee or a meal. And as you either witness with your eyes what's in that home, you notice the nice stuff there, and it shifts from appreciating what is nice to quickly comparing or contrasting what you don't have. It's like, why do I live where I live? Why don't I have those nice stuff? And then as you notice the people, why isn't my wife, why isn't my husband, why isn't my boyfriend or my girlfriend like this or like that? You begin to compare. Wow, he, wow, she is so good at this, but my, why am I stuck with? Why don't I have? You fill the blank. Wow, they're going on a vacation there? How come I don't? Wow, I'm stuck with this job? 
and they have such, why are my kids more like, why aren't my parents more like? And as we begin to compare and begin to complain, begin to envy, begin to covet, we become unable to enjoy what God has given us right now. Jeremiah Burrow, a Puritan who wrote A Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, I think many brothers and sisters read that. Um, it's relatively a harder book than typical because in the language it was written, but I'll, I highly recommend it if you haven't read it already. But he's not saying contentment is opposed to sharing what you're afflicted with. Contentment doesn't mean you, you don't actually express your complaint to God and to fellow believers in a way that's still honoring. Contentment doesn't mean you can't, in a lawful way, seek to get out of your difficult circumstance or endeavor to just make life better. I mean, after all, look at the book of Psalm. You have people like David who wrote a lot of it and it's expressing how afflicted he is. He's asking God often to rescue him and when he gets a chance, he runs for his life. None of this is bad things. We can express those things. But covetousness is about desiring to have and seize what is not lawfully ours, or seek that, which in a way that it goes against God's law, the method. We covet when we're not content. Often when our eyes wander, not content with what we have, Coveting never really truly satisfies, maybe temporarily, after you take that, but it doesn't last because coveting is not a circumstantial problem. We may think it is, but it's a heart problem. And unless the heart is dealt with, we'll keep on feeling and living in that manner. And this inordinate desire is not limited to just money and possessions. I mean, we covet relationships to giftedness, to work, our paycheck, stages of life, accolades that people get that we might not, respect that people receive, which we don't have, Beauty we notice that we feel we don't possess to family or family stages that we long for and wait for and pray for. Sure, the culture says that any desire is legitimate as long as it's true to you, but the Bible speaks none of that. Certain desires are explicitly called out as out of bounds. There are God's created creation order. And if it's not in there, 
then it doesn't glorify God, no matter how true it might feel with you. And we know the, the craziness we see this played out in the realm of sex and sexual ethics and everything else that the world today deems legit. When we look at the 10th commandment, I mean, by all the things that we observed, it breaks the second great commandment, right? I mean, Jesus in Matthew 22 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second half of the Ten Commandments encompasses this. And when we covet, we violate this second great commandment. Because when we covet, we don't think about our neighbor. We just want what is our gain. We don't consider the cost that it's going to take on our neighbor. How we will destroy them, damage them. Previous weeks we went through, I mean, now we are going over different kind of sin and its severity before God. But question 40, 147 and 148, a couple of weeks ago, we learned and went through the duties required in the 10th commandment and sins forbidden in the 10th commandment. And if you paid attention to the language, the duties are a full contentment, full contentment with our own condition, and as such, a charitable orientation of all our soul toward our neighbor. And what's forbidden was discontent with our state and envy and grief at the good state of our neighbor. So we are commanded to be content and commanded against being discontent. On the surface, it's about breaking the second great commandment but you take a step back, 10th commandment, breaking it, actually violates the first great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind because when we covet, essentially it's saying that I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you, God. Because you're not treating me in a way that I think you should. The patterns we see when people covet, we've seen some of it. We went through the famous one in Genesis 3, when God created Adam and Eve, and God gives one command, forbid, forbidding them to eat from that one tree. And it's the same pattern that we see. Coveting is often associated with seeing, which leads to coveting, which leads to taking. When Eve saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, guess what? She took, she took some and ate it. In the book of Joshua, we have a character by the name of Achan, and he, get, he gets caught. And in his confession, this is what he says, it is true, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw the, in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, I 
and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. He sees, he covets, he takes. And unfortunately, we went through what David did. When kings went to war, he stayed. He went to top of the roof. What did he, he saw a woman bathing. He coveted and he brought her over and he took. Our coveting begins with our eyes. And brothers and sisters, we need to guard our eyes because it very quickly affects our hearts. And as we look through our eyes, the longer we stare at certain things, we begin to believe, falsely believe that in some strange way, God is failing to fully provide for us. That is not good to us anymore. And this unbelief in God's goodness and sovereignty seeps in and grows this discontentment. And it begins to spread more and more. Eve, who was created to be the helper for Adam, instead led Adam to sin. And in their sin, shame entered, death entered. Achan, who thought he would gain by taking all this. I mean, after all, isn't that why we do what we do? We think we can gain something by coveting and taking. But Achan didn't gain anything because at the end, he and his family were destroyed, put to death. Israelites were able to enjoy the fruit of their conquest, but not Achan and his family. Tenth Commandment goes against the great first command because it denies God's providence. If God provides what we need and we long to have that something and he's not giving to us, and then we begin to deny the goodness of his provision. That's why the Bible calls covetousness idolatry. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time you checked your heart? Are we coveting? And what we're coveting against what God has explicitly commanded? Is it against God's word? Because if it is, then we need to repent. We need to repent and turn back to God. Because it's outside of God's will, as revealed in Scripture. Are we tempted to gain something in an incorrect, unholy way? This inordinate desire. Desire itself might not be sinful. Sarah knew that God promised a child to her through Abraham, but, and that longing was right, God-given, but she was unwilling to wait. So what? She, she turned to one of her servants, Hagar, to produce a child. 
because the desire for her child was so big, so inordinate, so consuming, she couldn't trust in God's timing. Brothers and sisters, do you find yourself comparing a lot, comparing what you have or don't have? We went through 1 Samuel a while ago, but if you remember back chapter 8, at the end of Samuel's life, the Israelites demanded a king to rule over them. It wasn't because they thought it was God's will or God's timing, or it was the best way for God to rule them. They looked and witnessed what other nations had. They had kings. They had kings who ruled over them. Why can't we have a king like other nations? And as we wait, hopefully with thanksgiving, hopefully as we patiently wait for God's timing, do you listen to your heart? Is it filled with thanksgiving? Because that's what we are commanded to. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ for you. Because he's in control. He's good. But if our hearts are filled with grumbling, then that's a warning. Do you find yourself grumbling? Maybe to yourself a lot? because you're too ashamed to share that with someone else, or maybe you do have a brother and sister. And unlike David, who is expressing his distress, you are actually coveting, envying, sinning. Do you remember Israelites when they were led out miraculously through Exodus from slavery? And only just months after, they already begin to complain. They forgot. They forgot how God had redeemed them, and just like that, they begin to complain. And none of us are immune to that. Our hearts are so easy in seeing, coveting, and if we keep looking, we will seek to grab that, which is not rightfully ours to take. The Bible speaks of covetousness in a serious way calls it idolatry. In Romans 1, verse 28, 29, teaches us that since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to what? A debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceitfulness, maliciousness. You see covetousness smack in the middle here. Apostle Paul speaks of it in Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as it is proper among saints. This is serious sin. And that's why it's idolatrous. Because essentially, when we begin to covet, it's saying that I need that, I can't live without that. And if God doesn't give me that, God is not good. He can't be trusted. Paul goes on to talk about this in chapter 7 of Romans, 
as he reflects on the whole law, he says, he, he looks at covetousness to sum it all up. Brothers and sisters, as you look back to, as we look back and examine our hearts and our actions, have we hurt others to get more from them for ourselves? Maybe with our very actions, then we need to repent. Maybe with our words, attitudes we show, James 5.5 reads, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. James is rebuking employers who are cheating their employees of their due wage. He's rebuking their greediness. Brothers and sisters, are we preoccupied with making or accumulating more things more things in our home. If you think about the parable of the sower and the soil, some seed fell among thorns. In the beginning, it seemed to bear fruit. It's kind of growing. But it continues by Jesus telling us that the thorns choked it out. It's the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of life that choked out the word and prevented the seed from bearing true, lasting fruit. If we are getting too busy to accumulate things, and these things begin to possess us, then it's probably a good time that we slow down and repent. Are we expressing discontentment to our loved ones. Maybe not explicitly, it kind of oozes out about what's in your home, about your family, or the quality or the quantity of what you have at home. The Bible teaches us to learn to be content, that we trust that God is in control that we can learn to be thankful and enjoy what he has given us right now, whether the food on our table, the family and friends we have, the gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, that we can come together and worship, that we can fellowship together, pray together. The answer to covetousness is not getting rid of our desire like Buddhism, but it's about learning and cultivating contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, Apostle Paul teaches Timothy about that godliness with contentment is great gain. Like I said before, when we covet and when we take, we do that because we think we'll gain something. But as we see in the scriptures, when people see, covet, and take, it doesn't truly lead to gaining anything. At best, momentary satisfaction but leads to lasting loss in our relationship with God, with one another. The Bible teaches us that godliness with contentment is the great gain. You want to gain 
God wants us to gain, but it happens through learning to be content. Instead of looking or seeing that leads us to covet, brothers and sisters, let us seek Christ. Bible commands us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be what? Added to us. The more we seek and value and treasure Christ, the less all these things of this world will matter. As we seek him in his word and in prayer, as we look to the cross, as we are reminded that we have a great high priest who cleansed us from inside out, who made a way for us to the Father, who dealt with the problem of sin. Let us look to Christ. Instead of coveting, let us learn to desire the right things and learn, continue to learn what it means to be content. When we abide in Christ, as we spend time in prayer, in his word, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, he changes our desires. We begin to desire to know him more. We begin to desire more to be part of his body, his community. We long to desire to serve his body, glorify him, by loving those that he has placed around us. Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 talks about learning in whatever situation to be content. Apostle Paul believed in a sovereign God. He trusted in this sovereign God who reigns over heaven and earth. He knew that God's providence provided exactly what he needed right now. Whatever he had, whatever was his lot right now, he knew and believed was sufficient because that's what God deemed as what he needed right now. And he was able to rest in that with contentment. Because if God thought we needed more, he would have given us more. But for whatever reason right now, we have what we have because in his divine wisdom, he has given us this lot. That's why whether he was imprisoned or he had much more, he was able to be content. And he was able to do all things through Christ who strengthened him. And brothers and sisters, instead of taking things that don't belong, we worship a God who so loved the world that he gave we're called to give, give generously of our time, with our, in our relationships, with our financial resources, with our ability. Let us give instead of take. And as we're reminded in the way we are taught to pray, let us remember to give thanks. It's hard to be discontent when you're thanking the Lord. We are to by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be, be made known to God. Because at the end, we worship God, who is a giver of perfect gifts. We can give thanks because we know that our Heavenly Father loves us so much 
that he knows exactly what we need and he gives it to us so we can thank him for that. Imagine a beautiful day. Say a beautiful day to play soccer might be like 70, 75 degrees, 70. Not too sunny, but it's a nice day. Imagine a nice park, turf field, fences up. You have little kids playing around, like pick up 7v7 soccer game. Kids can kick the balls really hard, but they have high fences, so the ball still stays in. And it's like parents dream, like they don't have to worry because they know that it's a safe zone. They don't have to worry about cars anywhere because kids are enclosed. But one day, let's say, a few older kids come over and say to the parents, like, hey, uh, can we play outside over there at an open field beside the road? I'm like any reasonable parent. It's like, no, this is perfectly good for you. You can have all the fun playing with your friends with no fear of danger at all. Just, no, just stay here, have fun. But instead of enjoying a beautiful day with, with their fellow friends, these few managed to convince the others to pout. And instead of playing soccer in a fun environment, they're just looking at the fence and looking at the field that they can't go, focusing on what's denied, miserable and upset. And that's often how we live our own lives, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Instead of enjoying what's given to us by our Heavenly Father, who knows exactly what we need at the very moment, we look at what's not available, what's actually harmful, thinking that's greater gain, when true gain is when we learn to be content with what he has given us. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us In our day of social media, when we are so bombarded with what we see, be careful what your eyes glance at. Let us look to Christ. Let us look to the Word. And let us be thankful for what He has given us from the health that we have, that it is this good instead of worse, that we have food on our tables, that nourishes us, that tastes great. We have roof over our heads that we can sleep, clothes to wear with dignity. And unlike many nations that we pray for every Saturday, we can gather without fear and worship together. But most importantly, that we have a great high priest who made us a way to God the Father by cleansing us from inside out. As we continue during the season of summer, my prayer for us 
is that we keep our eyes focused on him instead of things that lead us astray. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we are humbly reminded how holy you are and how sinful we are from inside and out. Lord, our hearts are prone to not love the neighbors that you have commanded us to love and not love and honor you in a way that you have commanded. We distrust you more often than we would like to admit. Forgive us. Change our hearts so that we look to you instead of looking and listening to the lies of this world. We thank you for the gospel that we can rejoice in, that we can come to the Father whenever. May we not take that for granted, not cheapen it, but be able to truly take advantage of the amazing access we have to the Father because of the Son and Holy Spirit. Lord, as we are reminded that we cannot obey these commandments, we thank you for Jesus who has. And Lord, now no longer to be saved, but because we are, would you help us to obey you? Because obeying you is true gain as we continue to learn what it means to be content. We thank you, Lord, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.